Thank God. I'm, I'm, I'm really just uh, happy to be here because, you know, this is my favorite season of the year where we get to look back and reflect of where God has brought us from, what God has done with us as a church, and, and, and to where God is still yet taking us. You know, you should be excited about this series only because, uh, well, not just because, but rather we have a great lineup for you of just, we're going to be talking about what it means to be an epic church. When you hear the word epic, you often think of, uh, of the epic of Gilgamesh or old stories that just are just old tales that everyone might know or they might know some part about them. And I believe that what God desires to do through us as a body, the stories will be told for years to come through our families, in our community. I believe that what God has for us as a body, you see, many times we come to the church with a need for self rather than realizing the church is a body that has to act on behalf of God and we can't just come to receive, but yet we have a purpose to give. And so for the next few weeks, I want to talk about what we need to do as a church corporately and with the hope and prayer that you take those things that we talk about and you implant them into your personal life. But my main goal for the next seven weeks is not to preach you into how to, how to fix everything in your life, but it's how to get your life on the path of doing God's will. In, a, in week seven, we're going to have, we already booked Pastor Philip. He'll be flying up from, um, he'll be flying up from Louisiana. He's going to be with us, with some friends. I won't say who he's bringing, but he's already bringing some people. And we're just, I'm really just joyful. And the reason I have to say is because when you know where God has brought you from, and you know what God has, some of you just got here, and your floor is my ceiling maybe, you just, you just walk into all this and you think, man, this is, this is cool, this is great, but it wasn't always this. And sometimes you got to thank God for what it was in order to be grateful for what it is. And oftentimes in our lives, we judge God on the season, not realizing he's the God that keeps his promises for a thousand generations. And we're judging God on this one season of our life when the God you serve, he blesses families for a thousand years. You worried about, you worried about little Jimmy going through X, Y, Z when God says, I done blessed your mother, your father, your great-grandmother, your great-great-grandmother. I done blessed all your cousins, all your nieces. And you worried about one season, but the Bible says that he blesses for a thousand generations. We serve a generational God. A God who's not bound to your limited season of time. But a God who can do things so great that it echoes throughout your family's lineage. See, some of you pray for your now. You don't even pray for your lineage. You don't pray for your children. You're praying for your now. You don't even pray for your great-grandchildren. I'm going to start praying for my grandkids. Because it is inevitable that I will one day have some, and I know that I want God to be in their life. And so I need to make choices now that will resonate into what my children are going to walk into. Let me say it like this. You are responsible for the spiritual atmosphere of even the unborn members of your family. You see, my, my daughter was born into a God-fearing house. 
She was born into a Bible-believing, grace-teaching pastor's house, and she's going to know and experience and understand the Lord because of what I have done before she came. And so today, some of this for some of you might be some rehashing, but I think it's so important every year to take one Sunday and look back at the history of where God has brought our church from. To look at the history of what he's done through us. To look at the, at the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God in the process of our lives. And so if you would just join with me in, in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. The book of Hebrews, if you don't have a Bible, you can look on up here. But if you have it, you can be more than happy to turn to it. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And I'm going to be coming from the 32nd verse. The 32nd verse. You believe in God for something great today? I don't believe you. You believe in God for something great today? See, the way this works, I just want to let y'all know, when you talk to me, it helps me get through the preaching faster. So, you know, I just want to throw that out there. I'm just playing. You know, it takes a number of things to build a great church. And we're going to talk about the six characteristics of an epic church. The seventh week, Pastor P will preach whatever's on his heart. But I want to read this to you, and then I want to share some things from my heart. Hebrews eleven thirty two, and it says this. And what more shall I say? But I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, he ain't talking about Obama, Samson, and Japheth, about David and Samuel the prophets. Who through and the whole church shouted faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. They conquered kingdoms administered justice, gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Come and bow your heads, dear Heavenly Father. Only you have the right to speak from this podium today. From this stage, only you have the right to speak to our hearts, for you formed and fashioned our hearts, and only you have the right to quicken our, our flesh and our spirits. God, only you have that right. And so today, Father, we turn it all over to you, asking you to speak to our church, speak to each individual today, that we would pursue what you would desire for us as a body. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. It was but 31 years ago that the Holy Spirit began to move on my father's heart and life. It was 31 years ago that he, surrounded by a small group of individuals, decided by the unction of the Holy Spirit that God was calling him to open up a church in the city of Bridgeport. Jonathan, if you could put that up for me. It was... It was a tough task in that there's my father, in case you don't know who he is. And, and here's the thing about this great man. 
is that he came into an area of Bridgeport that was over-churched, and the whole church said amen. It was populated with churches all over, and the Lord had told him that he was going to use him in a mighty way. And that almost sounds arrogant at the time when you're telling other established ministries, hey, I want to open up a church because God told me he's going to use me to save the city. And you think about that on a grand scale, and other people might say, well, who are you? And, and, you know, I've been preaching about faith these last couple of weeks, and I told God this past Tuesday, I don't want to preach on faith again. And the Holy Spirit told me on Wednesday morning, well, you can't talk about an epic church unless you talk about great faith. He said to me that our church is rooted and grounded in great acts of faith that God has used to launch the ministry that we see now today before our eyes. And so I want to talk to you today on a topic I've entitled Big Bold faith. All right, we're going to do this together now. We're going to say it as a team. Amen. Are you ready? Big, bold faith. That's what God desires from the people of God. If you look in Scripture, only two things amaze Jesus. Big faith and no faith. Check your Bibles. The only two times Jesus was ever amazed had to do directly with the issue of faith, either great faith or the lack of faith. And, and, and my father, 31 years ago, in big, bold faith, planted a church that he believed that God was going to use. And in my father's lifetime, he never saw it used to the capacity that God had told him. Much like Abraham would never see the nation of Israel birth. Much like Isaac would never see Jacob become the great son that he was. Much like Jacob would never see his 12 sons flourish. Much like Joseph would not see the nation of Israel birth the way he desired. But yet 400 years later, just as God promised, over a million strong left Egypt. They died yet not seeing the promise, but they still walked in the promise nonetheless. For death is not the end of the promise. It is the place where God chooses to have someone pick up the baton. Great, big, bold faith. As many might know, our church lost our first building on State Street over in about the year 2000. I don't know the exact year. I was kind of young. Amen. And, and, and we lost our first building. And at that time, we had to end up going back to the house. And we lost pretty much all of our members except Pastor Carmen and her kids. She couldn't go anywhere. She was family. <laughs> because people now, when, when, you, when you remove the physical... They think that it has to correlate with the spiritual, but we realize in that moment, the greatest thing that ever happened to our church was losing our building because it took the fickle people out the congregation. It took the naysayers out. It took the doubters out. And in Hebrews 11, it's the story of great, big, bold faith. We believe the author is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, he begins to deal with the issue of faith. And in the book of Hebrews, he's talking about the supremacy of Christ over the law. The supremacy of Jesus over the old covenant. And he begins to deal with how the elders, before there was the law, they were accessing righteousness by faith. They were doing great things of God by faith. He talked about how Abel offered his sacrifice in faith. He talked about how Noah built the ark. Somebody say, 
in faith. He talked about how Abraham left his father's house in faith. He talks about how, how Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau before he knew they were going to be blessed in faith. He talks about how Jacob would go ahead and he would send his sons out and he would bless the sons of Joseph to be tribes before he ever knew they were going to be tribes. But he did it in faith. He begins to speak about how Joseph would, he would pray over his body and he said, when my body goes, when you leave Egypt, take it with you because in faith, Joseph believed that Israel would not be slaves forever. You got to understand, he begins to give a whole timeline of great men of God and their acts of great, big, bold faith. He says, he starts with, with Abel to Noah and he goes to Abraham and then you see from Abraham, it becomes generational. You see that after Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all the people of God, Moses and Joshua, you got to see all the things in Samson and Gideon and Barak and David and Samuel and all the great men of God that came from Abraham. From one man, the promise grew. You've got to believe it. You've got enough inside of you to grow to 10 generations in God. That God can do a mighty work in you. I don't care how defeated you feel. I don't care how bad you feel. I don't care how useless you feel. God can do a great miracle in you. God only needs one submitted person to work a mighty miracle. He started all that we see with just Adam and Eve. And then out of Adam and Eve, he pulled out the family. Out of the family, he pulled out the community. Out of the community, he pulls out a civilization. Do you understand that God just needs one submitted person? So afraid, the Bible will tell you that so afraid of one man was Pharaoh that he began to kill all the Hebrew boys in the book of Exodus. So afraid of was, was Herod and, and them of Jesus that they began to kill all the baby boys at the time because they heard a Savior was coming. And you might think that you're nobody. And I bet you he thought at some point he was nobody. He was a failure. He faced hardship after hardship. And dad went through hell and high water. But there was something inside of him that said there will be big, bold faith that carries me through because I got to believe that God is going to do something. And the whole church sounded epic through what God has started. Henceforth, my shirt, amen. You can order these in the back for the fee of $20, amen. I'm so serious, and all the proceeds are going to go to buy our own baptism pool, praise God. We don't got to borrow it next time. Big, bold faith. He says, Paul gives us nine things that are broken into three categories, nine things that big, bold faith does. I don't know about you, but I want to pastor a church of people who have big, bold faith. I want to pastor people who know how to step out in the will of God, who know how to do mighty things for God, who know how to say, I don't care what it looks like. I know what God said, and what God said does not look like what I see, but I know that if I stick to what God said, eventually I will see the fruit of what God is trying to do in my life. You know, last night I had the opportunity to go see a movie with my wife, and I thought that my trip was about the movie, and it, and it really wasn't. The moment I walked out my door, it was raining, and I saw a little old lady, and she had, she must have been pushing 75 years old, and she had a, a bag in one hand dragging on the floor, and I live on a hill, and she's walking up this hill in the pouring rain, and she got another bag on the other side, and I said, honey, hurry, come on, let's give this old lady a ride. 
And I pulled up to her, and I, I, I kid you not, I said to her, I said, do you need a ride? And she talked in broken English, and she said, sure, I just live up the street, but I'll take the ride. She said, I'll, I'll take the ride. And, and my wife got out the front seat, and we let her sit in the front seat. And the first words out her mouth when the door opened, she said, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, I said, yeah. As a matter of fact, I am. And she goes, I know, because I prayed that God would send me an angel to give me a ride. And could you believe that God sent me to go to what I thought was a date with my wife, but it really was an appointment? I'm talking about simple things, big, bold faith that you believe that God will send it, so you ask for it, and God will do it. And he says these things. He says these things. Paul says the first three things that he talks about. He says, they conquered kingdoms, administered justice. You with me? They conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises. They conquered kingdoms, administered justice. And obtained promises. Here's, here, here's point number one for you today. I want to try and get through this today. Big, bold faith doesn't see adversity. It sees opportunity. When, when I think of conquered kingdoms, I think of Joshua when he moves in big, bold faith into the promised land. Why did he go? Because God had promised it, so he went to the promised land. Henceforth, why it's called the promised land. And and the thing about God is God often doesn't give you the details. And the first thing he sees when he goes into the promised land, he sees a city called Jericho. And the, the, the angel of the Lord comes to him and he tells him numerous times in chapter one, he says, do not be afraid, have courage. Do not be afraid. Have courage. Joshua did not look at the adversity. He only looked at the opportunity to obtain the promises that God had promised him. You in your life have to understand that you cannot look at the adversity of doing God's will, but the opportunity of following God's word. As a church, we need to move forward in the places God has called us because if we don't do it, he'll raise up another. God has called us to create the largest soul-saving effort. we got to take the vision and the burden of our church and the ministry serious so that God will be able to start bringing more people in and he will fill this house to the brim. Big, bold faith. You know that Joshua didn't just fight a couple of kings. Can, can I read a scripture to you? It's in Joshua chapter 12, and you got to understand, God doesn't give you the details, and, and listen to what it says in verse 9, and it gives a list of all the kings that Joshua defeated. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, which is besides Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Egdon, one. 
Juan, the king of Jezer, Juan, the king of Debir, Juan, the king of Jeter, Juan, the king of Horma, Juan, the king of Arad, Juan, the king of Libna, Juan, the king of Abdullam, Juan, the king of Makeda, Juan, the king of Bethel, Juan, the king of Tepuam, Juan, the king of Hefer, Juan, the king of Aphek, Juan, the king of Lashon, Juan, the king of Madon, Juan, the king of Hazer, Juan, the king of Shinimaron, Juan, the king of Asheph, Juan, the king of Tesach, Juan, the king of Megiddo, Juan, the king of Megesh, Juan, the king of Jokim of Carmel, Juan, the king of Dor, on the coast of Dor, Juan, the king of the nation of Gilgal, and he killed the king of Terza, and all he defeated, the Bible says, 31 kings. They conquered kingdoms. And they administered justice. What does it mean to administer justice? What you got to understand is the land of Canaan was full of these 31 kings who were puppets to the Egyptian king. They were puppets to Pharaoh, and they would pay Pharaoh massive amounts of money, and they would give him massive amounts of agricultural benefits and farms and wheat. And the Bible says he went and he sent them in there to administer justice by defeating Pharaoh for being so obstinate against God. They conquered kingdoms, administered justice. And how did they do it? Paul says, through faith. They conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and obtained promises. He obtained the promise of the promised land that God had given unto Abraham over 400 years prior. Some of you got things that God told your grandmother that you never saw come to fruition, and now you think God is a liar, not realizing that God was talking to you all along. But he was doing it through grandma and grandpa. And you would say, well, I don't know why they waited so long for God, and now they never saw God. I can't believe God did that. No, 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 no. He's a generational God. When God speaks to the house, he ain't speaking to your address. He's speaking to everything that will come from your parents' loins. Everything that will come from your mother's womb, God is prophesying over when he gives a word, when he gives a promise. God says he'll save your children. He ain't talking about your children. He's talking about your children's children, your children's children's children, and your children's 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 children. That's the generation of God you serve. And if we're going to see God move in our midst, we're going to continue to see God do a mighty work in us, it's going to take that kind of big, bold faith. You can't walk around acting defeated before the Lord. But have the faith that will conquer kingdoms, administer justice, and obtain promises. Isn't that what God wants us to do? To capture the kingdom of Satan? Take back the territory of our city, our communities, our streets? Administer justice in the sense of feeding the homeless, clothing the naked, helping those who are lost and broken? Is that not administering the gospel of Jesus Christ's justice to those who are lost? For the Bible says he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. Not realizing us as a church that when we get into the house of God and we become saved, we are no longer the sick. We are now the healthy and we need to find more sick people to reach. But yet we have a complex that we still got a condition. We still got an issue. We still got a problem. But you've been saved for five years, but you're still hurting. You're still broken and you're still not bearing fruit. You are not the sick. You are the healed. And the Bible says he came to administer justice and to help those who were sick because the sick are the ones who need a doctor. It's our job to go out to the highways and the byways and help the lost. 
And how do you do it, church? Big, bold faith. It takes faith to walk up to somebody and say, do you need help? They might reject you, but they, they will often say, I do, I do need help. It takes big, bold faith to walk up to somebody and say, can I pray for you for anything in your life? It takes big, bold faith to walk up to the drug dealers in the corners of the streets and say, don't do that stuff in my neighborhood. Because this neighborhood's for Jesus. You think that's crazy until you realize that that's what my father would do. We lived in the, one of the worst drug-infested areas of the city of Bridgeport. We had about two to three gangs living on our street. People who were just, just doing all types of foolishness. They would fight from house to house. I'm talking about all types of foolishness. And they would try to sell drugs in front of my house. And my dad would go out there. They'd be leaning on my gate. And he'd be, what are you doing out there? Take that trash off my gate. Don't be selling drugs in front of my house. All right, pastor, we sorry. Why? Because there was a sense of, of, of big, bold faith that there was a work of God happening. Do you have the big, bold faith to conquer kingdoms, administer justice, and obtain promises that God has given you? If you are tired of not receiving the promises, understand that they are yours to obtain, not for God to owe you. He's already given them. They are already there. You've got to walk in faith and obtain them. Everything God will give you has already been given. It's up to you to begin to walk in it. It conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and obtained great and mighty, somebody say, promises. That's what God would desire of us. Big, bold faith doesn't see adversity. It sees the opportunity the opportunity to please God. But the Bible says without faith, James 2, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, works is, without rather works, our faith is dead. And so we have to take to the streets and take to the highways and byways. And we got to go to the lost people and say, Jesus loves you. How can I help you? God desires a church who will be epic by having big, bold faith. The next three things he says, they shut the mouths of lions, quench the fury of the flames, and escape the edge of the sword. They, they did these mighty things, shut the mouths of lions. I can only think of, of, of the fact that David, rather Daniel, who was, who was a man of prayer. He was a Jewish man in the book of Daniel. He was a man of prayer. He was a, a top-ranking official in the government of an enemy government. He was, a, he was elected and he was appointed and they loved him. The king loved him, but everyone else hated Daniel because Daniel had the favor of God and Daniel was a man of prayer. So they made laws that made it illegal to pray to any other God but their God. But yet Daniel would not, he would not suffice. He would not care. The Bible says that three times a day he would go in and he would pray. And because of this, he broke the law and they cast him into the den of lions. But Daniel had great, big, bold faith and he believed that God would rescue him. And Paul is saying that these men of the Old Testament with them. It was, not, it was not nothing else but their faith and belief in God that the lions did not eat him. Do you, do you understand this? This is faith. You're going to throw me in the lion's den? That's fine. My God is strong enough to keep their mouth shut. That, that's faith. Faith often sounds like foolishness. And so sometimes you don't want to act out in faith because you might feel foolish. That sound, I'm telling you, it sounds stupid. Just, well, he's going to keep the, well, he must just going to, yeah, that's, that makes total sense now. You're going to throw me in there? No problem. He's going to keep the mouths quiet. Yeah, they won't even bite me. We're gonna, I'm going to name them. 
And then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play, and we're going to have a good time. Could you think of, of this, this mentality that he had? 1 Peter 5, 8 says that the enemy, Satan, he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's an accuser of the brethren. When you shut the mouths of lions, you need to rebuke the accuser of your life. You need to rebuke temptation that comes against you. He is not a roaring lion. He is like a roaring lion. And he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But you have the authority with big, bold faith to shut the mouths of lions. Lions stand for adversity. They stand for problems and trials and tribulations. And these problems come not because you did something wrong, but because you were doing something right. If you're doing something right and you got problems because of it, don't stop. Trust that God will deliver you when the tough times come. And the Bible says Daniel believed that God would shut the mouths of the lions. He says they quenched the flames of the fire. I think of the three Hebrew boys In the same book of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And the Bible says they were told to bow down to this false image of of the God. And they didn't want to do it. This idol. And they said, we will not bow. And they said, listen, if you don't bow, we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace. Scripture would tell you, they said, listen, not only will we not bow, but we believe that our God can deliver us from your furnace. I wouldn't have said that. I would have said, I want to talk to my local congressman because this is not right. This is against the Constitution. You ain't throwing me in no, you can't, that is capital punishment at its worst. You can't throw me in a fiery furnace. It don't make no sense. Jeez. But not these guys. They acted out in big, bold faith. And what did they do? They said, we believe that our God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. You got to have an even if he doesn't attitude. An attitude that says, I know what I want from God, but if he don't give it to me the way I want him, I'm going to be all right. I'm not going to leave God. I'm not going to run from God because it didn't happen the way I wanted it to. The way God decided to grow this church was through adversity. It was through hardships. It was through trials. It was through losing buildings and losing people. It was through rebuilding and refining. It was through going to the lion's den. It was through going to the fire. Could you imagine if we had given up the process when we had five members? If we had given up on the process when we had just six, seven people, when, when, when the kids' ministry was the worship team? You think I'm playing. I was 11 years old leading worship in the church. I enlisted the rest of my cousins to help me. It was at one time we had like 10 singers and we were all terrible. It was just terrible. I remember seeing an old picture with about eight of us lined up all over the place on the, on the old building on State Street. It was just terrible. I remember hearing an old tape. Yeah, you know what, a, if, you're, if you're not old enough, you don't know what a tape is. The struggle was real. A cassette, there you go. A cassette tape. And then, and, then, and then I listened to it, and I wanted to turn it off immediately because it was terrible. It was because the kids' ministry was the worship team. It was terrible. Who would allow an 11-year-old to lead worship? People who had no other choice but had big, bold faith. For the same people who were leading worship then, three of them are on my band today. But in order to thank God 
for where we've come and where we are, we got to look at the history of what we were. And you might not have been there when we were meeting back in the house because everything was lost. And you might not have been there when we ended up at Howard Avenue to this terrible building that was just God awful. And we spent three and a half years with 10 to 15 people building it back up and painting walls and, and putting down rugs and building up this and doing that. And then, and then we had a church of some type, but we had no members yet. Maybe you weren't there, but yet if we hadn't gone through that trial and that tribulation and that fire, it wouldn't feel as good to stand where we're at now and say, if it were not for the mercy and the faithfulness of the living God. God is a miracle working God. Here's here's my second point for you today. Big, bold faith doesn't falter in the face of failure. When Daniel got thrown into the lion's den, he didn't say, well, I guess I totally messed this one up. I thought God was going to save me from it. Big, bold faith doesn't back down in the face of failure. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego didn't knock on the door of the furnace and say, I got to, I got to change my mind. I will bow and then I'll ask God to forgive me tomorrow. That's what most of us would do. Oh, I'll ask God to forgive me tomorrow because there's grace for that. No, they stood in the face of failure and did not falter. They stared it down and said, I don't care if my God won't do it. I know he can, but if he don't do it, there must be a real good reason why he ain't doing it. Big, bold faith doesn't falter in the face of failure. When we lost our building, we kept on going. When people left, we kept on moving. When dad died, we kept on going because there was big, bold Faith. You have to understand that for a church to do a work for God, you cannot do it without faith. Many churches don't grow because they have no real faith. They talk about having faith. The only faith they got is faith in Jesus as their Savior. They ain't got no faith to grow. They ain't got no faith to see God do a miracle. They ain't got no faith to see God fill auditoriums. They ain't got no faith. And because they ain't got no faith, they don't act out in faith. God wants to do amazing things, but he can only do them through people who go to the places where amazing things happen. He said, I ain't got time to talk about Gideon, David, Daniel, Japheth, and Barak. I don't got time to talk about these people who did all these mighty works. They quenched the fires, the Bible says. Are you with me, church? And they escaped the edge of the sword. Sometimes it may feel like this thing that God has called you to would take your life. Anybody here might know that you should be dead, but yet if it was not for his grace and his mercy pulling you out, and you escaped the edge of the sword. These men like David who faced death all day long. When he fought Goliath, he faced the edge of the sword. He barely made it out with his life half the time in the battles he fought. But yet he had big, bold faith in God. When he goes up to Goliath and David's fighting Goliath, he's like, I'm coming to you with my slingshot in the name of the Lord. I don't care about anybody else. I'm coming in the name of the Lord, Jehovah, Jireh, my provider. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a generational God that he served. And he said, I'm coming to you in his name. He had big, bold faith. Big, bold faith. 
It takes for you to believe God in a capacity that is beyond your ability for God to move in a mighty way. If you want to see God do great things, then take great steps of faith. For faith declares this. is what faith does. Faith says, God, I believe that you can. And so because I believe that you can, I will. Even before I see you take the first step, God, I'm going to go. And I'm going to move in the, in the route that you called me to move. Big, bold faith. You want to see God move in your life, church? Take big, bold steps. Somebody say a faith. Faith may take you to places where your life seems like it's at risk, but you will escape the edge of the sword. It means you were at the point of death. You, you could have killed yourself. You could have gone too crazy, and the Lord said, no, 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 I've got a purpose and a plan for you. Big, bold faith. The psalmist says, I've been young and I've been old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God will never forsake you in steps of faith. God will never forsake you. But you have to have big, bold faith. Are you getting this? Big, bold faith. In our church, we've seen many instances where we've had to have that big, bold faith. Looking back now as a pastor or a leader of a congregation, I might say to myself, I wonder how dad felt. I wonder how the other church members felt when we said, well, we're going to lose the building to the city. They're going to take it. We're going to have to meet back. Could you imagine if I told you guys, hey, guys, listen, um, crazy thing. We're going to have to have service at the house. So we're going to have an 8 o'clock, a 9 o'clock, a 10 o'clock, an 11 o'clock, a 12 o'clock a 1 o'clock, a 2 o'clock, a 3 o'clock, and a 4 o'clock service. We're going to have nursery in my, my lower bathroom. We're going to have the toddlers in my, my master bathroom. We'll, we'll, we'll take the, the greenhouse and we'll put them in, in, in my daughter's bedroom. And we're going to take all the rest of the kids who come late and we're going to just stick them in the service in my main living room. But I can only fit 10 at a time, so I need you guys to let me know when you're coming to church. Could you imagine how crazy it must have sounded to say, listen, right now the plan is we're going to go back to the house and we don't know what we're doing after that. Listen, we didn't have a small church. We had a building. Two stories. Four sections. Dining halls. We had four bathrooms in the place. We had two kitchens. It wasn't small, the thing we lost. It was big. But we Press forward. Even when we couldn't understand why, we pressed forward because 31 years ago, God gave us a promise. God gave us a, a promise that he would do a great thing. And God is not a man that he would lie. He is faithful. And so because God is faithful, we keep going. And then Paul, he writes this. He says, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. The last three things he says. He says, he says, whose weakness was turned 
to strength. I think of, of 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, and it says, and, and Paul is in this place in his life where he's dealing with the physical ailment, and God is not removing the ailment. He's not healing Paul, and Paul is going through this, this issue, and, and, and Paul's asking God to heal him, but God says to him, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Do you, do you realize that God's strength is perfected in your weakness, not outside of your weakness? He is perfected when you are at your worst. God says, I am at my best for you. When you feel like you can't anymore, I will for you. In other words, I have to wait sometimes, God says, until you try everything and you're too weak to do anything that I can go in and handle everything. I got to go into your life when you have exhausted every effort and you finally let me play in the game and I will fix everything in your life weakness, my strength is made perfect. It doesn't say in my strength I will do great things or in your strength. It is in the strength of God due to our weakness. He says in your weakness. And then he says this. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going somewhere. He says, and who became powerful in battle? They became powerful in battle. It wasn't, it wasn't in the camp where they became powerful. It wasn't when they were putting on their armor when they became powerful. It wasn't when they were planning a battle when they became powerful. It wasn't until they fought in the battle that the strength of the Lord came over them and they were able to win victory after victory after victory. It was when David came over and fought Goliath, the strength of the Lord rose up in him. It was when Joshua went to each and every city to fight the strength of the Lord. Lord rose up in him. It was when Gideon was in the battle. It was when he was in it. Some of you want the strength of God to come before it. But then that's not faith. Because if you go into the battle with the ability to win, you get the glory. But if you go in there regardless, knowing you are about to die, I'm going to die. This dude is 13 feet tall. Goliath is crazy. I don't care. If you go into it, I got my slingshot. I got my five stones in case I missed the first time. I don't really care. I know that God's going to help me, and I'm with God. I'm with God the whole way. I may be 13. I may be a shepherd, but I don't care. I'm going to go where God tells me. God told me to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I don't care what anybody says. This is David. I don't understand why David. I'm just going to go where God told me to go. And he was not strengthened until he was in the battle. Because it is when you, church, it is when you take the step of faith to go where God says, Abraham was not blessed until he went into the promised land that God told him to go to Canaan. He was not blessed until he left the place and went into a place. Here's my third point. I'm closing with this. Here's my third point. Here's my third point. Faith Rather, big, bold faith thrives in the midst of miracles. I know. That's what I thought when the Holy Spirit said it to me first, too. Last night at midnight when he made me rewrite some stuff. Amen. (laughs) Faith thrives in the midst of miracles. You see, it was while... Stephen, play something spiritual as soon as you can. It was while... (laughs) I'm just kidding. I like to make him feel... Some waste. There you go. That's my praise God. There you go. Mm. That's good. Oh, shut up. I just, 
back on track. It was when they went in the battle that the miracle happened. Some of you want the miracle to happen before you ever stepped in faith into the battle. You want God to save your children before you pray for them. You want God to bless your finances before you tithe and save. You want God to bring you more money before you know how to manage what you got. You want God to do things before, but the Bible says it is in your weakness, it is in the battle, it is in the middle of a miracle that God will move. Here's the thing. I know David didn't think he was in the midst of a miracle while he's fighting Goliath. You don't recognize you're in the midst of a miracle oftentimes. Matter of fact, most of you right here, right now, don't realize. You can't see the spiritual picture that Citywide Church, we're living in the middle of a miracle that God is doing. Big, bold faith thrives in the midst of miracles. Seven years ago, I took over the church, and I was determined to be a pastor who did big, bold steps of faith. Sometimes it looked absolutely stupid. I didn't care. I was sure of what God told me to do. You know, one of the first things I did as a pastor, the first thing within two weeks of my father passing away, I'm sitting there, I'm just... plot to take over the city. What are we going to do? What's number one? You know what we're going to do? We're going to go buy some chairs because we had all mismatched chairs and we didn't have enough. They were just ugly. It was like going to Holiday Inn plus going to a dirty restaurant. We had some computer chairs that were just swirling around. Y'all think I'm playing. We had the worst chairs in the world. We had chairs that we had for like 20 years. I said, "Mm, God, I ain't going to pass to these chairs. (laughs) I said, look, I need new chairs. Until I saw chair prices. You mentioned church, and they think they have to put the Holy Spirit in the chair. Man, I went to the board of the directors of leaders, and I said, we got to buy chairs. By 150 chairs. Do we need that many? Yes, we do. God's going to fill them all up. Big, bold faith. Until I saw a price tag, $10,000. I said, oh, Lord Jesus. (laughs) Looked at our bank account. We had about 15,000. Looked absolutely stupid. I said, all right, we're going to buy the chairs. We bought the chairs. I remember them being delivered. The truck couldn't fit inside the gate. Couldn't make the turn onto Howard Avenue. And so we had to get all the 25 to 30 people we had in our church. And we had a little line of people. And we were just passing chairs. Passing 150 chairs. <laughs> By the end of the year, the chairs were filled. Big, bold. You are in the middle of a miracle. And then, and then, and then. It was too full. And, and, and back in the, in, the, in, the, in the old Howard Avenue, if, you, if you've been there, the sanctuary is, is, is just a wide open room. But there used to be a, a wall 
right next to the sound booth that kicked out about 10 feet and then went over. In other words, it was like the sanctuary was the L this way, and then you took a left, and it was right, right, rather right turn, and it was that way. We had 80 chairs here and 70 chairs over there. And, and, and I remember I'm just sitting there one day, and I was doing all types of stuff, and I said to Carlos, I said, Carlos, it was me, Carlos, Alex, and we got the Mexican next door. His name was Othelio. He's a Christian, loved the guy. He was unemployed at the time, so we used him to come on over and help us out, brother. I said, and, and my line called, I said, we got to take the wall down. We didn't tell nobody. We just started taking the wall down. People are like, why are we taking the wall down? The Lord told me to take the wall down. Two weeks later, filled up. faith. We are in the middle of a miracle. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? That God is doing something great. In 2010, in 2010, in 2010, Barbara Martire came to me, the old owner of Howard Avenue, and said, we're going to be raising your rent. So I think it was something like we were paying $1,000 at the time. And she said, we're going to raise it to something like $1,500. And then the next year, $2,000. And then maybe two years later, about $2,500. And I'm just sitting there like, this building wasn't worth nothing until I got here. Our church put close to $80,000, $90,000 in this building. We, we made it what it's worth. And now you're going to up the chart. All right. And then I went home, and I was praying, and I talked to the leaders. And, and, and I said, you know, it'd be better. I did the math. It'd be better if we just bought the building. It'd be cheaper. What you might not know is the laundromat in front, the church owns it. And I knew that if I bought the whole building, he got to pay homeboy rent. And then I'm going to be the one raising rent. And I can keep my rent low. But here was the problem. We ain't have no money. Half a million dollar building with no money. And we met with the three owners. And I'll never forget, he was sitting there, one guy with his wife and his sister who was Barbara. And we sat there and the, the sister's smoking in the back. And I'm just like, <coughs> you're trying to get me to go back to my old days. Rebuke you. And we stood there. It was me, my brother, it was Lori, it was Roberto, and it was Pastor Carmen and, and Daniel. And we made a pitch to them. And, and we said, we'll give you guys, this is so funny, I want you to hold the mortgage for us. Because we couldn't get finance and we were a small church. I want you to hold the mortgage for us. We'll give you $10,000. And you sell us the building, not over a 20-year commercial, but a 30-year rate. He was like, well, that's not a lot of cash. And my response, you can ask any board member, I said, we would have more. And it was what the Holy Spirit told me to tell him. We would have more money, but we done put it into your building. That's my down payment. He talked amongst them with all their cigarette smoke. And they came back and said, we want 15000 And the problem was we had about 20000 in the bank as a church, and we didn't want to give everything we had away. That Wednesday night. Mark my words, a lady came in, didn't know what was going on. We hadn't told nobody. Walked up in there and said, I got a $5,000 check. Lord told me to give. Big, bold faith. Big, bold. The whole pastorate that I've experienced has been big, bold faith. The first back to school event we planned with, we had 60 members. Close to 1,000 kids came out. Big, bold faith. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? And then, <laughs> after 
after we moved the wall, we needed more chairs. And so I said, Lord, true story. I'm not making this up. I said, Lord, we need more chairs. So we took an offering. We told the church what we were going to do. We needed $10,000 more. We figured we're going to order 100, have 50 extra in case something happens. Amen. You know, little kids like to make a mess on the chairs and cut holes in the thing. Yeah, we know how your kids are. Praise God. Now they're my kids. (laughs) Took an offering. I called Roberto. I said, Rob, how much came in? We needed 10,000. He said, Pastor, they got about 3,400. I'm like, man, God, I, I think this is you. I can't make this stuff up. About a week later, maybe two, I can't remember exactly, some guy at four in the morning comes to Howard Avenue high on drugs, crashes through the gate to bring us a cash offering. Not making this up. He had something like $6,000 cash when the cops found him. No, we did not take the offering. But when the insurance company came out, they said the damage is $6,500. I took $500 and I fixed the gate. I took $6,000, I bought more chairs. And what happened? They filled up. You're sitting in the middle of a miracle. You 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 don't understand. And then... And then we outgrew, we outgrew Howard Avenue. God was moving. And we said, we're going to go to Mobile Church. We're going to move to Bassett. We couldn't afford it. It made no sense. But because we had a rental income, because of the laundry mat and steps of faith two years prior, we could even think about coming out and stepping out in faith. We were scared. We needed all types of stuff. We needed trucks. We needed equipment. We needed gear. But yet, when we stepped out in big, bold faith, the Lord began to move. That Easter, we had about 500 people. The following Easter, we had 800 people. We've seen God move greater and greater and greater every year because we had big, bold faith. Last Easter, church, this just passed a couple of months ago, we had over 1,000 people come. Big, bold faith. If you want to be an epic church, if you want to see God move in your life, you got to have big, bold faith. But we were not done. And when adversity came to us again, we looked for the lesson in the midst of the mess. And we said, God, what's next? And God said, the climb. And we moved over to the climb. Would you know that just in the last two to three months, we've raised our attendance by over a hundred people. I'm talking big, bold faith. It takes big, bold faith to do the things that God has called you. Somebody tell your neighbor, we're in the middle of a miracle. We're in the middle of a miracle. It may not look like it now. We may not see Goliath fall, but I believe that God is doing something great and we weren't even done. Two weeks ago, I'm talking to Lori. I'm talking to Pastor John and Pastor Lori. Text message. And Pastor John says to me, he's planning out a special baptism service. And he says, all right, what's, what's the whole plan? What do we need? And I told him what we needed. And then I said, and we need extra. Extra what? Extra towels. Extra shirts extra shorts, give me some hair gel, give me some mousse, give me some hair ties, give me some combs and brushes, and get me deodorant. 
We're going to make packs for people who want to give their lives that day and be baptized. Big faith. And, and him and Lori went out shopping, bought everything they could find. I told them 20. Thank God they didn't listen to me. I think Lori bought everything she can get her hands on. We got it all ready for the girls and the guys upstairs. We planned. And would you believe? Would you, would you believe that over 33 extra people decided to follow Jesus? Why? Because we're a church who steps out in big, bold faith. I want to declare to somebody that as a church, we're standing in the middle of a miracle. And that what God is doing is absolutely, and the whole church said, epic. People will know about the goodness and the faithfulness of God in the midst of our congregation, not because of who we are, but because we step out in faith and God honors our faith. I'm believing God for a mighty move continuously, a flourishing move. I don't know about you, but I want to see God. I want to see him turn lives upside down. But if we stop stepping out in faith and we stop doing the things God called us to do, if you become complacent in your walk and you become complacent in your faith, you become a barrier to the blessing. But if we say, God, do with us as you will, for Lord, we desire to be used by you. If we say, Lord, I'll afford myself every opportunity to be used by you. If we say, God, I believe in the things you said. I believe we're meant to do the vision, the mission, and the purpose. God, we're going to open our hearts to you. If we do that as a church, we're going to see God work an amazing miracle, the likes of which our city has not seen. we got to have big, bold faith. Big faith that we could conquer kingdoms, administer justice, obtain promises, shut the mouths of lions, quench the fires of the flame. That we, church, that we, that we, that we, oh my God, that we would be the ones to say that I escaped the edge of the sword. That in my weakness is strength made perfect in me. That in, in the midst of the battle, that he came over me and strengthened me. And that I put a foreign enemy to flight. That I took the enemy out of my life. I casted demons out of my neighborhood. I casted demons out of my family, my marriage, my children, everything. That I cast it out. Because I had big, bold faith. My God, would you stand to your feet this afternoon? Big, bold faith. Having a mic malfunction here. Praise God. Big, bold faith. That God do a mighty work in us. For not one thing that we have yet gone through and or done has been in vain. But God has rewarded our great faith. And maybe you just got here. That's all right. 
You're just part of the miracle. Maybe you're saying, well, Pastor, it's only my third week here. That's fine. You're just part of the promise that God said would come. Well, Pastor, I don't know if I believe. You don't have to believe. We as a membership and as a church body, we believe. That's God. That he would do a mighty work. Can I just say something stupid? There's no reason that by the end of this year, we can't fill this first floor. But if you would go out and tell the world of the miracle that is happening at 910 Fairfield Avenue, a place where promises come true, a place where purpose is exposed, a place where miracles are in their process, there's no way. Pastor Jose, I don't know where you're at because I can't see you, but do me a favor and don't ever put that black curtain back up again. I'm believing God. And maybe you don't know, I got that black curtain there so people won't sit back there. So I still need you not to sit there. Amen. <laughs> but we're taking it down in faith and in belief that because people are going to be sitting there that you invited, that God's going to have to, when we step out in faith, fill the house. I don't know if it was Lori or my brother. We said we should stop putting that thing up. And they're absolutely right. It's an act of the opposite of faith. So no more. We'll just take it down. Because we're believing God to fill the house. You see, I gave you a list of things that I've done over the last seven years that God has come and fulfilled. And the next one is going to be we pack the climb. Thank you, Pastor Lori. Because of the glory of God. And it'll symbolize transformed lives. People who are changed. Why do you come every week? Because God changed your life in this church. Hold on, hold on. How many more can he change that we walk by every week? How many more can he change that we avoid? How many more can he change if we would humble ourselves and go unto him and say, Lord, who should I invite this week? Lord, what should I do? I want to challenge your faith. Fill this house. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, Pastor, I don't have that same level of faith that you've got. I don't got that same kind of thing going on with me and God. Maybe that's because you haven't displayed rather the greatest type of faith, which is saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you haven't prayed a sinner's prayer and had your, your sins removed from you. Maybe you thought just because you're a good person, that's good enough, but the Bible says it's not. And it says that no man can come to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Maybe that thing you feel in your heart right now, you want to have that big, bold faith. Well, let me tell you right now, step number one is to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. He will enter in. He will do an amazing thing and remember your sins no more. He will wash you and make you clean. He will make you over. He'll give you perfect peace. Come on, would you bow your heads across this sanctuary? Big, bold faith in Jesus. From the front to the back, with every head bowed, every eye.